0: I'm Monica Olson and I'm Jennifer Walsh and you're listening to the biophilic solutions podcast where every other week we sit down with experts and thought leaders across industries in order to explore the innate connection between humans and nature and why we need nature to thrive.
1: We truly believe that in order to tackle the global environmental problems we're facing, we as humans must reconnect to the natural world and come to a better understanding of how we fit in and how we are so interconnected. So in every episode, we'll interview new guests that help us uncover and highlight nature-based solutions to get us on a path to greater health, tackling climate change, and ultimately getting outside and connecting with nature. So let's get to today's episode.
0: Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Monica. Jennifer. If I were to tell you that there is a global commercial flooring business that produces net zero carbon emissions and is working its way towards net negative emissions, what would you say?
1: Okay, well, I've already met our guest today, but pretending that I know nothing, I would say that sounds incredible, but I'd be doubtful if it's possible. I mean, carpeting and flooring, particularly when we're talking large scale production for commercial spaces, seems like it would be a really environmentally taxing industry. But I have a feeling you're about to prove me wrong. (laughs) Ha ha, you are correct about that.
0: (laughs) So today we're talking with Carrie Pay, who's the Vice President of Product Design for Interface Flooring, which I mentioned is a global flooring company specializing in carbon neutral carpet tile and resilient flooring. And they make the carpet tiles that many of you may know as floor, F-L-O-R. So Interface is widely recognized as a global leader in sustainability and biophilic design, and their founder, Racy Anderson, was a true visionary who really recognized the importance of cutting carbon emissions in the early 90s. And he set ambitious goals for his business to achieve what is now net zero emissions.
1: Both Carrie and Interface had been on our radar for quite a while. Actually, Carrie lives in B and is Monica's neighbor. And I had a chance to interview Carrie during a pre-pandemic walk with Walsh video. And Carrie is so knowledgeable about biophilia and so thoughtful about the way she incorporates nature into her work. We're really
0: excited to share this conversation with you all. Talk about Interface's groundbreaking efforts to really become a net negative company and what that means, as well as the importance of sound and ambient noise in the built environment and why the world really does need a new industrial revolution.
1: Absolutely. So let's get to our interview with Carrie Payne. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And I'm so happy to be in Serum B with our producer Katrina and Carrie Pay and Monica. And we're all together to record this wonderful conversation with you and to find out everything you've been up to because your work is incredible. So I guess what we always like to start with, so how did you get to where you are today at Interface? And what are you doing right now?
2: Okay, well, how I got to Interface? It was via plane. <laughs> <laughs> But, after spending my career in New York with Maharam, with Gordon, having my own studio, clients were Starwood, and I worked with Marriott, all the big hotel groups. And it was a call that I received that I thought was someone asking me for recommendations of people to hire. Mm. And they said, because I wasn't looking for a job. I was really, really happy where I was. I had such a fantastic career working for these great houses and, and working with terrific people, brilliant minds in the commercial interior industry. But they said, no, 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 we're not asking for recommendations. We want you. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you're in Georgia and I'm in New York so that was wild to think about but my husband said Interface is a culmination of your entire career mm. you know, because most all of the companies that I had worked with had started thinking about sustainability mm-hmm. and started embracing it and when I was working with Wolf Gordon I really tried to move it forward so that it was at the forefront of their thought process But when it doesn't come from the top, it's always a a little bit of an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. But with Interface, sustainability was from the top. Mm -hmm. Ray Anderson told the company, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to change. And we're going to lead the world in that change. And so it was something that I could not turn down just Mm -hmm. because of the opportunity to work with such minds. Absolutely. Yes. Incredible.
0: Yeah. We absolutely yeah. like feel like Interface is almost like a little bit of a family, just the relationship with Steve Niger and yeah. yeah. Ray and how he inspired Steve to really create Sarah and B. Yeah.
2: So when you took I wish I had been you know, oh. out fly on the wall. Yeah. Yes. I guess in those conversations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because to take it from the idea of a manufacturing facility to an entire living community mm-hmm. and a way of life. And to sow those seeds and to turn it into something that we have right now, which is yeah. a model community for the whole world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And it, it is being
0: modeled after. It's so inspiring. Yeah. It really is. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So once you heard it's in Georgia and now I'm coming to Georgia, (laughs) were you ready to come full time or did you do it as sort of a consulting back and forth from New York to Atlanta? I I, um, They courted me
2: from October to April. So that was a bit of a long period before Mm -hmm. I decided to sign with them. And then once I did, it was head first. Yeah. 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 And, you know, naturally, Serenby would be the only place to live.
0: Right. And we've done so many things here, but I think yeah. you kind of stumbled upon it that you could actually live here instead of the city or LaGrange, which is where Interface is, like yes. the fact that that worked out was they pretty miraculous. I was
2: going to live in Atlanta mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but they were putting me up at the mm-hmm. inn in this courtship. Oh. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going anywhere else. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Love staying right here. It, I had the best of both worlds,
0: sure. you know, the best of New York and the best mm-hmm. of the South. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it really is. It's really great. So tell us about the role that you took and mm-hmm. what you're doing now, because you're doing mm-hmm. global design. For yes. the whole company. Yeah. And so Just give us a little quick snippet. Well, of Well, it was that's funny like.
2: because at the beginning, I don't think I what the way that this interface came about is that I think it was maybe the board of directors had said twenty five years of your product design has been with an outside consultant, mm-hmm. so we need to establish an inside design capability,
1: mm-hmm.
2: product design, and so with that, I was tasked with building the first. In house design studio for interface, oh. and they just started me designing products for hospitality. Mm-hmm. And because at that time it was a market segment that they really wanted to grow mm-hmm. and approach designing for hospitality from a customs capability which they hadn't done before, before Mm -hmm. they were selling their commercial products to hospitality instead. Mm -hmm. So I brought in a new yarn system, and Mm -hmm. we developed a whole new level of product design that Mm -hmm. would help the hotels differentiate their brands within our products. Mm -hmm. So for a three-star hotel, they could put in a a typical commercial product that's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And then for the four or five-star brands, then they could... Up the game with this new yarn system. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so, and then that time I was just, I think my title was product designer, but Mm -hmm. then it quickly turned into commercial products and vice president of Americas and now, yes, vice president of global design. So cool. And (laughs) you're all over the place presenting, Mm -hmm. right, all the time. Yeah. That is the most fun out of my job is meeting all these people that come from different walks of life, different industries, Mm -hmm. meeting with people that are building initiatives for corporate responsibility, Mm -hmm. as well as people that are building products, you know, textile designers, as well as architects and interior Mm -hmm. designers, all kinds of creative minds, which, you know, for a while it felt like... Our country was putting less stock in creativity and Mm. the revenue producing Mm -hmm. mass production power that it has. And now I think it's turned around. I think that creative minds are now have a seat at the table in a lot of places. Not enough, but still
1: a lot more than it used to be. That's nice to hear. Mm -hmm. And especially in the kind of work that you're doing. So when you are developing and creating these these carpets and these fabrics and these designs, was there always that Play with nature, or like biophilic design, or biophilic elements, even when you started, or did that kind of happen as a understanding. Well, my first collection was inspired by Central Park. Oh, did I know that?
2: Did we not just, have this conversation before? Mm-hmm. Wow, I mean, it just comes naturally. Sure. To look to nature for inspiration. Mm -hmm. And that can come in not just by trying to create images or like literal references Mm -hmm. to nature. But I think it comes from trying to figure out what it is about nature that is so compelling. And what it is that we connect to on a psychological level, Mm -hmm. an emotional level. And you try to bring in those emotions that it elicits mm-hmm. into the product design. In happiness, intrigue, coziness, warmth, security. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the the product has to have emotion. I think the color has to have emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the color should just be so flat. I think that it has to be nuanced, just like nature's nuance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing that you look at in nature that is a flat color. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah, so you have to craft the color the same way as you have to craft the texture and craft the weight even of a product. It has a lot to do with how we feel about it
0: mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. The, the touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you were coming in, they already had the carpet tiles going and they had already yeah. had the floor line. And that's a little more of the, would we say that's more of the residential side? Although that has a Absolutely. contract, right? That yeah. has a contract well, side. The contract has just really been okay. it's taking off this last couple of years. And so did you, when you started working with Interface and then the biophilia, like some of the carpet tiles are fascinating to me because you put them together mm-hmm. and these are basically squares that are mm-hmm. carpeting, but they all kind of match up even though they don't have the same pattern. Yeah. yeah so tell yeah. me a little bit about so that. And that like, was is... that a fun project to work on or? No. And that's again,
2: how we can mimic nature mm-hmm. because and instead of making the same pattern repeat across the floor, mm-hmm. it's. In imitating the way that a floor looks, like when we were walking in the woods, sure. the floor has leaves over here mm-hmm. and dirt over there and some rocks over there. But there's a continuity to it. Sure. You know, and and the color changes, the texture changes, mm-hmm. yeah. the density changes, the image changes. But there's still some continuity to it. Yeah. You know and. I think that when we're in spaces where you can have that level of casual placement, Mm -hmm. it makes us feel more comfortable. It makes us feel like we're in nature. It's a subconscious Mm. feeling. Like, because if it's so modular and so the gridded or the repeat is so regular, if something's off, like by half an inch, it will bother us. Ah, yeah, You know? I'm a little OCD. So it will definitely It'll definitely bother, bother you. I will figure out a way how to line it up yeah. <laughs> before yeah. I go. Because yeah. I can't walk out of the
1: room with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though, you're right. kind of triggers us in a way that we weren't expecting or because like you just said, nature is so nuanced in a way that's never the same pattern over and over again. It's always this yeah. ebb and flow that's beautiful, but yeah. never that set pattern.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it very exciting. Yeah. And before I came to interface my work was you know with upholstery and wall covering primarily and i always used as much of the machine as
0: i possibly
2: could what does that mean so, when
0: you say much, as much well, as so a machine like with
2: a loom you can have 56 inches wide. With wall covering, you can have 54 inches wide. Mm -hmm. And in from side to side, Mm. if you're doing rotogravure printing, your limitation is the size of the cylinder because it has to match up. But I would use that whole cylinder to create a a design Mm -hmm. instead of a repeat. Okay. I would create it so that from side to side, from fifty four inches across fifty four inches, it'll match up if it has to. Right. So that the seams disappear. Sure. You want the seams to disappear so that you're not sitting there mm-hmm. in the room figuring out why they did it correctly. <laughs> yep. But this is, has always been, I guess, something that has been with me. I don't mm. even know where it started. Mm. I think when I, I think it started when I was in college even. What'd you study? Oh, I went to University of Michigan to study engineering and ended up in art via architecture. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Sitting there going, I don't think I want to be an engineer. Maybe I want to be an architect. Oh, I have to have a portfolio? I've Uh, taken an art (laughs) class before. Yeah. I'm going to take some art. Oh, okay. Well, forget architecture. I'm falling (laughs) in love with this. That was the route I took. My father was not happy. (laughs) He wasn't. He said, I'm not going to pay for you to ruin your life. Oh. Yeah. So I quit Michigan, lived in Ann Arbor for nine months, yeah. got residency, re-enrolled and paid for school myself. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It was that important. Determined. To me. Yeah. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's incredible. Create. Yeah. What, yeah. what was your first job out of school? Oh, this man came to my BFA show uh-huh. and saw my work and hired me at my BFA show to do murals? My BFA show had these huge murals that were landscapes, basically that you mm. can walk in and out of. Oh wow! And there were, I think, seven panels that mm. enabled people to walk through these landscapes that I had silk screened. And I'm a nut. I'm a total <laughs> I nut. love it. And so he hired me to design these murals for his store on Michigan and Oak in mm. in Chicago. It was called Matthew C. Hoffman, a a custom jewelry design store. Wow. So I did that. Then he hired me to do his ad campaigns in Interview Magazine.
1: Oh, wow. That
2: was so much fun because we created this sort of docudrama with this mermaid that came (laughs) up on shore and, and then this goddess, Donna's kind of guy. Finds her and she's got all these jewels on. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait, I mean, it was interview. The interview yeah. magazine. Yeah, yeah. go yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. crazy. Crazy. Yep. Oh my gosh! so like, fun days. Yeah. And then I moved to New York and my first job in New York was weaving for Susan Horton, who became my maid of honor in my wedding. Wow. <laughs> she she had this design studio weaving beautiful, beautiful. Uh, mufflers for men. Oh wow! Like out of like mm-hmm. these Italian bouclé yarns, uh-huh. gorgeous yarns. And then she's like, "Okay, well, we can design another product. So let's do something else." And we built a silk screen studio in the back and started marbling silk. And then I started doing designs and exposing the screens and printing the fabric. And we made those into ties, neckwear. Oh my for gosh! Men. So-, so it's a little bit of a Ralph Lauren story there.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> And then Jane Barnes saw what I was doing with the neckwear, mm-hmm. so she hired me to come and be her neckwear designer, and then I became headed of studio at Jane Barnes. Wow. And at Jane Barnes, we were designing fabric for Knoll. Oh, okay. And, and then Maharam was looking. And at Jane's, Jane was so advanced, and she was so wonderful to me, too. And she sent me to Japan to teach the Japanese mills how to use these French weaving programs.
1: No kidding.
2: Yeah. And so there I was, like, all by myself, this 25, 26-year-old in Japan traveling around the country teaching French weaving programs to these little Japanese, Japanese weavers. That's incredible. And, yeah, but and so it was we were very advanced in software using interfacing software with the looms. Okay. And the mills were buying the same looms that Jane was designing Jane was working actually with the the software developers for the looms mm. in helping them design the software and, and work out the kinks. So I became very adept with software very early on when no one else was doing it. Maharam was looking for somebody with that skill. Mm-hmm. So I jumped over at Maharam, and then I became their head upholstery designer. And then people at Wolf Gordon were looking for somebody that had the right. skill sets that I developed there. So everywhere I went, I worked with fantastic people. All the people I worked with are still my friends. You know, I'm still friends with Jane. So appreciative to the responsibility that she gave me at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And- So, And Mary Murphy, who is my boss at Meharam, is still one of my dearest, closest friends. And then Wolf Gordon, the vice president of marketing at Wolf Gordon, is one of my best friends to this day. I made a video for her birthday the other day pretending that she was still driving around in my car. (laughs) I pasted her picture (laughs) on the passenger (laughs) seat as if we were still having the same conversation that we had for 10 years when we worked together at Wolf Gordon. It was fun.
0: We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer, guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? The Biophilic (laughs) Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit... We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public
1: spaces. Yes. And I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit
0: is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So you can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite
1: place, the Inn at Serebii. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in Sarah B for the sixth annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March
0: 26, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at Biophilicsummit.com.
1: That's Biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there.
0: We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. And did you come across biophilia and biophilic design before Interface? Or did you sort of intuitively know about it before it was a term?
2: Well, when... Yeah, definitely before Interface. Mm -hmm. Because when I was at Wolf Gordon, there's two answers. I think it was always intuitive. My Mm -hmm. family had a florist when I was a a little girl. Mm -hmm. The florist was huge. It was just rows and rows and rows of flowers that Mm -hmm. we would play in. And forest engineering, water conservation, floristry, those are all my family's businesses. Mm -hmm. My brother is a scientist, and it's just very much in our blood. So when I started designing, I think nature was always sort of in my Mm -hmm. language. But then when I started working for with Gordon, I said I wanted them to... They were a vinyl company, vinyl Mm -hmm. well covering. They Mm -hmm. didn't have any idea about sustainability Mm -hmm. or sustainable materials. And so I said, I'll come work for you if you dedicate a good portion of your product line to being non-vinyl, non-PVC. And then when I said that, I also wanted to know what exactly is is that so bad about vinyl. Mm -hmm. But when I did Mm -hmm. my research, I found actually it kind of got of a bad rap, Mm -hmm. but... Because it got that bad rap, that industry had merged so far away from its origins and was manufacturing much more sustainably. They Mm -hmm. started getting rid of their phthalates. They started making products that you didn't have to worry about off gases, airborne particles, Mm -hmm. and things like that. I mean, it came a long way from the time that Greenpeace first started calling out the PVC industry to where it was... You know, by the time that I left and in that the in the 10 years that I was at with Gordon immediately started manufacturing products that were biodegradable Mm -hmm. and going to all the environmental design conferences, Mm -hmm. looking at all kinds of alternatives Mm -hmm. to some of the substances that were being used. Mm -hmm. Helping them, our, helping our manufacturers, because Whiff Gordon didn't manufacture anything. Everything mm. was manufactured outside and helping our wow. manufacturers get there to phthalate free materials. Mm-hmm. And when I left Whiff Gordon and started my own design firm, those were some of the principles in which we were designing. And then when Interface called, it was a no brainer.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that you guys have some products now. That actually absorb carbon. Embodied carbon. Embodied carbon. Because for any listener that's listening, you know, carpet is one of the roughest, you know, how do you get rid of the oil? And it's like, you kind of can't sometimes unless it's 100% natural. But the backing, like there's so much detail in a carpet industry. But Ray's journey to make it stackless and circular and yeah. factory as forest, all these really interesting things. Will mm-hmm. you share a little bit about yeah. some of those initiatives that they're working yeah. on? Especially, I'm fascinated with the tiles that, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. So Ray started climbing Mount Sustainability, which mm-hmm. did include factories as a forest and changing mm-hmm. the way that everything was manufactured, as well as building factories that. When you take up land and you're displacing life forms, then mm-hmm. you build your thing and then you replace those displaced life forms. Mm-hmm. You, know, you give them another habitat. So that's kind of factories as a forest, mm-hmm. an aspect of it. But then also... As we were manufacturing, we were looking at our materials, we were looking at our emissions, we were looking at the water, we were looking at all the components that go into making manufacturing and measuring those. Mm -hmm. We changed everything so that we could reach carbon neutral.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: We achieved our goals, and those are always fluctuating too because as your raw goods, your supply chain changes, maintaining that status changes with those Mm -hmm. changes. So it's a constant being carbon neutral. You don't don't become carbon neutral and you're carbon neutral forever. No, It's an ongoing process. Then taking that the next step further. The next step further is carbon negative. Right. So When we start off with something that's carbon neutral, Mm -hmm. it means that all the emissions are already measured and accounted for in being zero net carbon, Mm -hmm. that the manufacturing of the products and the amount of carbon that the product contains are at at a zero point. So making that carbon negative means that we're going to take it a step further and use bio-based materials for that backing mm-hmm. and those bio based materials are going to have embodied carbon already. And so the amount of carbon that is already contained in the product is less than the amount of carbon that it takes to manufacture the product products. Wow. So it becomes carbon negative. And you know, our manufacturers are so I mean excuse me, our well, the manufacturers for our yarn, that supplier, has been a fantastic partner in this with us. And when Aquafil and Interface really started becoming partners was about, I've been there seven years, maybe it was like six years, like 13 years ago, I think, mm-hmm. is when they first started NetEffects. Mm-hmm. And that's when they started... Developing these programs with local fishermen in some, in like, I think Maldives and mm-hmm. Indian Ocean. I'm not sure exactly. I, I know I'm supposed to know these it's West <laughs> Africa. Mm-hmm. And they started, these local fishermen were collecting discarded industrial fishing nets mm-hmm. by the tons and getting paid by our yarn supplier at market prices for that nylon. It's amazing. So if you think of all those surfaces, if their manufacturing was carbon negative, wow, Mm -hmm. what an impact that would have on our earth. Yeah.
0: Incredible. I I have goosebumps just Uh about it right now. But I think it's It's such a a great great future to think about. I mean, we talk about optimism so much and hope Mm -hmm. that some people get bogged down in the fear factor. And so how do we... Storytell and give people a vision yeah. of a future like that, it. and we can do it. It's just a lot of the things exist. Commitment. We have to find it, and then commitment yeah. and pushing as consumers, corporations. Yeah. And it's just to- like
2: It gives you hope for the future and the future mm-hmm. generations in this world. And if we can clean up the world, clean up the atmosphere, reduce the carbon emissions, reduce the greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. then there is a future for the future generations. Mm-hmm. And then we just get rid of war. Then we have a really good plan.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll start with
2: carbon. Yeah. Yeah. With carbon <laughs> Which could get down. rid of war, possibly, yeah, if yeah, we get so rid of the we carbon. Can affect, we can affect that right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the sooner, the better. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, really, the sooner, the better.
1: I have a question, because I know we talked about this before. I'm going to go in a little different direction, because you taught me a lot about sound. When oh. we had our walk with Walsh yeah. in 2019, yeah. when you started speaking about the impact of sound that I never really thought about before, oh. can you tell us a little bit more about sound and your work interface, like yeah. what you're creating to really, and what happens to us when we are affected by certain sounds?
2: Yeah. Well, this gives the importance of flooring products and the materials that you choose to put in your floors, but not just the floors, it's the materials that you choose to put on your walls and the mm. furniture and the ceiling acoustics are hugely important to our well-being and our mm-hmm. everyday well-being. Just the amount of time that our brain has to spend every single day filtering out all the noise that it doesn't need to listen to
1: mm.
2: is exhausting. It's exa- and it's no reason we're so tired by six o'clock mm-hmm. and you drive home from work and you're falling asleep mm-hmm. at the wheel because our brains are just exhausted by all the ambient noise The sound of the elevator dinging, the sound of the people chattering in the coffee room, the sound of pencils scratching. If it's Mm -hmm. a place that has absolutely
0: no insulation. Or we talked about like it houses. Glass, mm -hmm.
2: steel.
0: um, Or your compressor outside your window in your HVAC system. Yes. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too like we have all of these standards that measure how well our buildings are, but they don't measure the amount of noise that is prevented, that is in the outside that's prevented from coming to the inside. Mm-hmm. Or they don't even measure the amount of noise that's in the inside mm-hmm. that prevents somebody from being able to focus. That and, and the amount of time that it takes once you're distracted from whatever activity that you're doing that you need to focus on and work Mm -hmm. and be productive in that activity. Once you're distracted from that, the amount of time that it takes to get back to your focus is really significant Mm -hmm. during the course of the day. It really does impact focus, productivity, cognitive, Mm. connectivity, so many things that make us not just better performers in our work
1: environment, but just make us healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you it's, know, it's profound. It really, cause I never, it's so new. You think oh, yeah. God, all these little things that I've started changing in my own habits because of learning from you. Yeah. Like, what am I doing at home? How am I filling my home with better acoustics? Yes. Better um, acoustics. Also
2: the sound too, and the quality of the sound that you're filling your space with. Mm-hmm. So we have these things that we can't control, but the things yeah. that we can control are really influential. I think Mount Sinai is doing this study. They got millions of dollars a couple years ago to do this study on the impact of the fetus from the environment that the mother is in. And sound measuring sound and the stressors that sounds create to a fetus has an impact. And so if you just think about that, Mm -hmm. if a baby's stressed out because of jackhammers or whatever mm -hmm. that's outside the window or the mother being stressed out because she can't focus, then that's going to affect the child. And then it kind of spirals from there. So we have to think about a healthy environment beyond just indoor air quality. Mm -hmm. We have to think about it in terms of lighting, in terms of sound absorption in terms of the textiles and the textures that we introduce to it also.
1: Is that epigenetics then, what you're referring to? Yeah, so epigenetic programming Mm -hmm. is
2: exactly what you're bringing up, is is Mm -hmm. directly related to creating the neural connections Mm -hmm. that are formed by the environments Mm -hmm. that we start encountering from the moment that we're born, Mm -hmm. which is why Mount Sinai is studying it For in utero, the sounds, the lighting, the touch, everything, the first things that we have in life, our brains start making these connections to, and it carries with us throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. I like to tell a story about how when I was a little girl, so I'm one of six, and I, I have. We're all like a year, year and a half apart. And so it's a very crowded house. And my poor mother, I I can't imagine how she survived. (laughs) She's a saint. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she should be in a mental home. (laughs) No no disrespect for people that are in mental homes that that are fully functioning people. But my mom is... Amazingly functioning. Wow. <laughs> so, the house was so crazy. Our friends used to call it the Loud Family. <laughs> so I used to escape all my siblings by climbing into a closet and climbing on top of the hangers and then on top of the shelves and reaching up and pushing through this little door that led to our attic. And I would hide up there oh my to get away from the noise. Hmm. The chaos. Huh. It was my space. And I would go up there with a flashlight and read and just get away. And so when I came here to Serenby and I bought a house, I realized later after I chose my house that I chose it because it had an upstairs room that was part of an attic that was oh, exposed wow. to the living room. The builder decided to close it off and mm. make it like a functioning room. Mm-hmm. And that was my attic. Wow. Mm. I spend most of my time up in that space. I love so that room. I'm so calm up there. And oh that is the same thing. That is epigenetic programming.
1: Yeah. Wow. I
2: know. We all have our spaces, but then yeah. we also all have things that we're repelled by too. And we can't understand why we're repelled by them. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a place that it subconsciously reminded you of when you had a bad experience mm-hmm. when you're, you're younger.
0: So that is epigenetic programming as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of the, that you're sort of touching on with the thinking of the sound and the light and the... Textures goes into those fourteen patterns mm-hmm. yeah. that we've talked a lot a bit about. Obviously, yeah. you know all about with yeah. Bill Browning identified and others. By Terrapin Institute, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who we yeah. love and yes. recommend everybody to go. Yes, dig up Terrapin. We'll put it in our show notes. They're amazing. Yes. But you know that well, they, they have, they have the-, the fourteen patterns of
2: biophilic design, yep. which they identified brilliantly mm-hmm. across time, across cultures, across. Geography mm-hmm. that is just a very succinct identifier mm-hmm. of the kind of places that are the kind of elements that we should be incorporating into our places of work or living. Mm-hmm. And they, did you know that they just added a 15th pattern? Yes. We do.
1: We love yes. this. But yeah. Talk about yeah. it. It's our favorite one. Yeah. What is it? We can all say it. Say it ready. ready? One,
0: two, uh, three. Ah. Uh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, so
2: silly. Ah. Uh. I love yeah. that they added ah. Incredible. Uh. I know because it's not Makes something so much that sense. you can identify mm-hmm. in any other way yeah. other than those three letters. Ah. Uh. Mm -hmm. And we all know exactly what they're talking about, too. Mm -hmm. Like when you walk into a space and you're just in awe, you don't understand why you're in awe of that space, Mm -hmm. why it makes you feel that way. And so that reminds me of like, well, so I'm going to do a little name dropping here. My father-in-law is I.M. and I've been to the majority of his projects around the world. And so awesome.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, so beautiful are these spaces and it really encompasses awe because when I sit in these spaces and I just watch the people traversing them, I watch the light moving across the space, creating different shadows, the the buildings are very much alive Mm -hmm. even when they're empty. Yeah. And that
0: is the awe to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a talent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think Bill had taught me or through a conversation with him is that, you know, when you have an experience like that, you are feeling... Smaller and understanding the mm-hmm. largeness of the world, mm-hmm. and you sort of understand your place a mm-hmm. little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think of like when I saw an eclipse, like that was probably one of the more profound oh, moments yes. of my life. That'll do it. And you, yeah. you also have this feeling of empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you, they've done studies where people, after having an awe experience, they actually have more empathy mm. and they're sort of better makes so much sense community members Mm. and which i think is fascinating and i think going out in nature so much of nature can give you that experience you know you don't have to go to i don't know yellowstone and see
2: yeah yeah you know it could be as small as watching a little bug on a leaf yes yeah i'm so
1: glad you said that too because you're right so many people think we have to go far and wide but we don't you just kind of look for things and you're going to find the beauty of all right in front of you if you're Mm -hmm. open to it yeah (gasps) it's powerful yeah. Changes you. People just have to stop sometimes.
2: Yes. Just stop. So and glad like, you're saying that. <laughs> you know, and breathe. Yeah. And feel the magic of the mm-hmm. moment just by being able to stop and breathe and touch your nose right. and close your eyes and do all the functioning things that you take for granted. Right. But I think that's one of the beautiful things about nature too. And like making a point to go out and connect to nature It
0: makes you feel more human,
2: Mm, I think, in the
0: power and the beauty of being human. Carrie, that's a beautiful way to Mm -hmm. end. I think so. Um, But I do want to ask if there's anything else you want to share with us, any projects or anything we should... How you
2: know, can we help support talk. you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we have some new materials that we're looking at, and I can't say anything about Okay, very exciting. exciting. No. But you'll exciting. let us know first, right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> one of the things I think that is the news. really, really interesting, looking at the future, mm-hmm. it's not something that we're doing right now, but I feel like it's around the corner from being more accessible. And we might start seeing more of this. Happening, but when I go to these trade shows, like the last trade show, D- Dutch Design Week, as well as Milan Furniture Fair, mm-hmm. I'm going again after two years of not being able to do this. I cannot wait, my wow. head is splitting. And but one of the things that impacted me the most was this idea. Of, well, you know how... I'm going to go back a little bit here. You know how we all started like kind of growing our own vegetables, especially during mm-hmm. 2020. Mm-hmm. We were making our own food. We were sharing our food. We were giving it to our friends, family, neighbors, community. Mm-hmm. And not everybody, but a lot of us had this opportunity to yeah. do this. Huge and spike in that. vegetable gardening. Yeah. Huge yeah. spike during the, the yeah. COVID. Mm-hmm. So wonder if we took that idea... And not just made it about edibles, mm-hmm. but we started harvesting in an aquarium, in our house or in our backyard, wherever it may be, algae. Mm. And you start harvesting your own algae. And you take that algae, and you can extrude it into a bioplastic. You take that bioplastic, and you can feed it into your 3D printer, and you can start manufacturing your own objects. You're blowing my mind from, right now. <laughs> that
0: would be so really? incredible. Yeah. Yes, yeah. super oh, interesting. Oh, I
2: need another chair.
0: Can you throw,
2: throw some right, algae, algae in the printer? <laughs> right. Well, I was thinking, yeah. like,
0: um, I've lost a missing Lego piece for my child, and I yeah. need that one particular piece. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, you you know, that
2: be a, a small piece. And that would take you no time at all. Right, yeah. yeah. Right. but I mean, but then, you know, you can do it for small objects, but then what about the bigger objects? like Right. People, or bedding, or even rooms. Mm-hmm. We can start creating businesses mm-hmm. that have larger scale 3D printers that you can go and say, hey, here's my, here's my bucket of algae. Can you go and make a bed for me?
1: <laughs> uh, you know,
2: but That's this amazing. is all... Possible. Possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That hope, it's right? It's the that hope. Yeah. And so, but we think about it as like being kind of out there mm-hmm. and in the future is like such a sci-fi kind of idea. It's not that at all. And that's why I brought up the gardening because mm-hmm. the gardening very much returned us to how we used to eat. Mm-hmm. We used to grow our own food before all the industrial agriculture came along. Yeah. We used to share the food that we grew with our neighbors. Yeah. And we got away from that because of the, the age of modernism. But this is an, a way of returning to that core is that we used to make our own tools. We used to make our own clothes. We used to make our own, our, knit our own sweaters. Mm-hmm. And so this is another way of us taking back the human. Mm hmm. Oh, I like that a lot,
1: taking back the human. Mm hmm in our everyday lives that's beautiful it's like hyper localization and we just want to be closer to our community and eat and grow and be a part of where we live where we survive and thrive yeah yeah
2: yeah well thank you thriving thriving Thriving, yes
1: yes. hope and thriving i love Mm -hmm. that
2: yeah yeah thank you carrie Thank you, you guys. Thank you
1: so much. So great. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. We always love to see you.
2: Oh well, I love seeing you guys and finding out what you guys are up to too. And I love listening and following you. Oh, thank you. you. So much
0: fun. Good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Jennifer, Carrie is so great and so fascinating. I absolutely adore talking with her.
1: I know. I love talking to Carrie because she's so creative and brings such an artistic sensibility to our work. Her passion for biophilia and biophilic design is so evident when you speak to her. She's just so passionate about it.
0: I totally agree. And, you know, I'm always inspired by Interface as a company, but Carrie's like on a whole nother level. I think that when they started working towards the net zero carbon emissions in the 90s, that was a pretty remarkable feat. Nobody was really talking about it or very few. And they really achieved that goal in 2019. But instead of just sort of sitting on their laurels, they're now working becoming carbon negative. Such a model for other companies to look up to and follow.
1: Absolutely. When there's a will, there's definitely a way. And Interface shows us that the possible to manufacture on a global scale without harming the planet. It may not be easy, but it's definitely doable. Right.
0: And every aspect of their production process is so thoughtful from concept to design to sourcing the materials. It's all done with nature and well being and sustainability in mind. And I was
1: fascinated with the fisherman story. I was also fascinated by epigenetic programming. We also haven't talked much about the importance of sound in the environment. Both are concepts I'd love to dive into further. Me too, and I love that these are things that
0: Carrie thinks about in her approach to design work. So the look of the flooring is really inspired by nature, but she's also thinking about how the material will affect sound in the space or how it sounds as well as feels under your feet. So all these things, when we try to mimic nature in the built environment, change the way we experience spaces and contribute to our well-being.
1: Absolutely, it's so cool. All right, Monica, I guess I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye, Jennifer. Bye, Monica.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star rating and please leave
1: us a review. It really goes such a long way towards helping us reach a wider audience and sharing these amazing interviews and solutions with the world. Absolutely. So thanks so much
0: for following and reviewing the podcast. And we'll be back with another amazing interview in two weeks. You're now a part of the biophilic movement.